You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Thomas Belluccio is a registered Maine guide and certified wilderness first responder. He is also the founder of Northeast Wilderness Company, an outdoors company that offers workshops, studies, and guided trips. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. So does it feel weird coming in out of the outdoors where it's beautiful out there and absolutely like and yeah and instead hanging out with all us like <laughs> desk jockey types uh, I do feel like the country mouse visiting the city for sure the country mouse yeah. but aren't you from New Jersey originally yeah uh, though I grew up in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey so tell me about that I don't know what Pine Barrens of New Jersey are uh, the Pine Barrens of New Jersey its own little wilderness it seems absurd to think of anything like that existing in New Jersey. Most people think of uh, the Sopranos or the infamous Jersey Shore, but uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful state. There's a lot, of, a lot of great wild places there. Now, did that influence your decision to um, become a Maine guide and do the type of work that you do? For sure, yeah. So my childhood was spent, uh, I grew up on dirt roads uh, and literally could just walk out of my house and run through the woods. Um, fishing and, and camping and whatnot. So probably for as long as I can remember. Uh, I don't want to say at the age of five I started camping on my own out, out in the backyard kind of a thing. Um, and then I just, I don't know, it just grew and grew, right? It just sort of became a passion. Did your parents camp? Um, yeah, my father took us camping. My father took me camping for the first time when I was two, which I don't remember much of that other than uh, wetting my sleeping bag, I think. But uh, uh, yeah, that was sort of um, the vacation was always camping. And actually, uh, when I was really young, we started uh, taking trips up to Acadia. And that was when I really sort of fell in love with New England and the state of Maine in particular always just kind of had a hold there. But you're describing growing up in a really beautiful place. Yeah. So moving from where some place that was already pretty beautiful to Maine, that must have been an interesting decision. It's true. Um, I think, I don't want to say I had enough of it, but I spent a, a good, you know, the first half of my life anyway, um, exploring that particular ecology um, and it's not to say that Pine Barrens are exclusive uh, to New Jersey there are uh, Pine Barrens in Maine and New Hampshire but um, yeah I guess I was just ready to explore other places I'd taken a couple of uh, cross 
cross-country road trips and saw a lot of uh, beautiful states and uh, I don't know always came always sort of gravitated back uh, to New England so I love the I love the spruce uh, forests. Uh, the coastline here is incredible um, and probably worth mentioning is uh, it's the most forested state in the Union it's about 90% forested in the state of Maine so uh, for someone that likes to explore wild spaces this offers uh, a, a wide playground for me so. and you seem to like trees I love trees trees are awesome uh, I could nerd out about trees all day really <laughs> um, Knowing knowing the trees sort of enhances my experience being in the woods and as somebody that practices um, the, the popular buzzword is bushcraft or woodcraft. Um, knowing different types of trees and what you can use them for is extremely beneficial as uh, an outdoorsman. Knowing what you can use to uh, reliably and, and consistently get a fire going despite the weather conditions or the types of woods that make great canoe paddles um, even um, which softwoods offer ideal uh, resin for making uh, adhesives for repairing canoes so it benefits you benefits me personally too to have that awareness of of uh, the ecology that I'm I'm in or moving through, I can relate to this because um, I've thought a lot about like, homogenization. So you go to the grocery store and you have an orange, a watermelon, a kale, mm-hmm. and so growing up, we have this idea that everything is one thing. But right. the deeper you look into something, you realize there's actually multiples of whatever that something was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not like there's a tree. It's there's one particular type of tree of many many different types of trees that right. are out there in the world. Yeah. Which is very different than the way we sometimes think about. Sure. Things. Yeah, I think a lot of people, even that that enjoy uh, recreating outdoors, hiking. In particular, you know, I've taken out groups that um, spend a lot of time, most of the people that I work with uh, spend a considerable amount of time outdoors. And and you take them out and you start showing them um, the diversity of, of what's around them. And I don't know, it unlocks something. You're, you're no longer just hiking that trail, like you, you're engaging with the environment that you're in. And so it becomes like, I don't know. On, on one level, it's just fun. Like it becomes kind of this Where's Waldo um, game, where y- you know things that you would have walked right past all of a sudden have new meaning and significance, and that's a really enjoyable aspect. That's that's so true because I know that I I enjoy plants and the healing properties of plants. Right so the more I've studied it, the more I find myself out even just taking a run on a trail and I'll say oh look there's some yarrow there's some right chicory on. there's cool. you know and I I think it really does it's like it's almost like you walk in the world in a different way because everything starts to become more alive it's like when you buy a red car you see all the other red cars exactly that, that. yeah yeah for sure 
Yeah, and um, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to articulate without without sounding uh, a, a bit nerdy. Honestly, well, you've, I think we should put this to rest here because okay. honestly, it's you're just talking to me and I love this stuff. Uh-huh. So don't feel nerdy. And anybody who's listening, if you think this is nerdy, you don't have to listen. It's totally fine. But we're having a conversation. So right. you, you can you could be as nerdy as you want. You know, moving away from just sort of the uh, the sport, uh, if you will, of being able to identify the, the different plants around you, you know, moving towards self-reliance. Um, you know, you mentioned medicines like the the resin of um, balsam fir, Abies balsamea, is is medicinal. Um, it's actually incredible for burns, and I've I've used it, and I've seen people use it. Um, someone that uh, was on a trip with me a few years ago uh, scalded their hand while cooking over a fire, and uh, just immediately covered it in fur sap and um boy i couldn't break down the the science behind it here and now but um it just kind of created a second skin and there's uh antiseptic properties in in the pitch that i mean i won't say it healed overnight but there was no blistering um, it, it got rid of the pain um so having these things at your disposal at any given time, like having that knowledge and awareness of what you can use. Um, even um, probably one of the more notable uh, medicinal fungi, uh, the chaga mushroom, Inonotus obliquus is the Latin. Um, knowing where to find that and, and uh, you know, that it is a prolific mushroom and you don't have to be shy about harvesting it really uh, and what it's good for it's it's um it's praised the world over so yeah i mean the more the more the tagline the, the saying uh, often goes with with woodcraft or bushcraft is the the more you know the less that you have to carry and i think just in general um it takes people from a place of moving through a foreign landscape that they're not uh, terribly comfortable in and it, it unlocks that it gives you this confidence e- even if you know n- not to say that anything uh, bad would happen right barring the sort of overly dramatized uh, survival scenario that's thrown around it's just having a, a greater understanding of, of where you are gives you a greater level of confidence to to move through the landscape and I think that's the most important thing um, the, the most um, tangible if you will take away from it all talk to me about being a registered main guide that that's a that's actually a pretty significant process and it's multi-leveled from what I understand uh, yeah in a way um, so with regards to becoming a guide um, first of all it's it's sort of uh, renowned um, the main guide exam is the most difficult to pass in in the US and so people come from all over to become registered main guides I have a, a great friend who is a guide we tested at the same time he's from Texas I think the people uh, the guys that were uh, 
interviewing him were sort of scratching their heads a little bit. Why is a guy from Texas coming up here to be a, a main guy? But it is, it's an achievement. So there's a point of pride there with the history and tradition. Um, and they don't, you know, their job is to fail you really because they want to make sure that if you're going to be taking people out into a potentially uh, dangerous situation that you've you've got it covered they don't want the liability so um, the process is there's a written exam that covers a lot of laws and um, and then you actually have to stand in front of a board usually just two seasoned guides that have been guiding for 30 to 40 years there's absolutely no pulling a fast one on these on these dudes um, and they drill you with questions and they just deadpan stare at you give you no feedback um, uh, different things like with regards to identifying wildlife and plants um, and from there you have to um, demonstrate proficiency with a map and compass um, which seems to seems to get a lot of people um, and then the the last phase is 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 arguably arguably the most difficult there's a lost person scenario or a catastrophic event where they present you with a hypothetical situation of being in a backcountry setting and and something goes wrong um, and and you basically have to ask all the right questions and walk them through everything you would do um, in order to pass um, so it's intense for sure I don't think it's the hardest thing in the world but it's one of those you either know the material or you don't and they don't really cut you any slack for not knowing it I got a little I got scolded I I, I rushed part of my map and compass and uh, <laughs> they give you like 20 minutes I think it took me five to get to get all my bearings and I, I just sort of blurred them out and I knew in my head that the numbers didn't add up so I stopped I just said wait can I double check my math and they were like yeah you still have 15 minutes um, so yeah I don't know where I was going with that <laughs> um, and so it's like an achievement yeah it's a point of pride it's um, something I'm certainly proud of uh, the actual, you know, guiding of people can be a, a bit trying at times, too. I think one of the things people don't often factor in is that you kind of also have to be a guidance counselor because you're, you know, you're dealing with people that um, are sort of in love with the romance of uh, wilderness travel. Um, but maybe don't fully grasp the weight of the situations that they they end up in. Um, just you know, with regards to being out of their element, um, and so you you know you, you have to be able to uh, just be an ear for people, uh, talk people down from you know uh, breakdowns, which I've done a number of times. Um, so there's that soft skills aspect to that interpersonal stuff uh, that you deal with routinely um, which I honestly find rewarding it's draining but it's it's a rewarding aspect of of the gig for sure
And do they test you on that? Do they actually say, well, how would you deal with someone who yeah, is in the middle of the wilderness and for sure. is having it, a breakdown? Yeah, with within the um, catastrophic event or lost person scenario, usually uh, there's an element of that. For mine, uh, I had a, the hypothetical was that I had a group of four on a river trip and we were two days in and uh, another canoe paddled into our camp in the morning uh, screaming something about his wife, his wife. And then they basically just gave me the floor and said, go, you know, like handle this. Um, and so you, you do, you kind of have to just feel it out and ask the right questions and, and they want to see, I almost feel like it's not um, as much what your answer is, but how you answer that they're looking at also. Uh, they want to know, they want to hear that you're direct. They want to hear that you're um, sort of in charge of, of the situation and not panicking, um, which admittedly is easier to do in the woods than with a microphone in my face. <laughs> so you, you actually are more comfortable mm -hmm. in, in the dark and the quiet right. and all by yourself. Yeah, than, yes. I do appreciate the fact that there's a tree in the corner. I do. That Ooh, helps. I like having this tree right behind me. It also is it's very centering. So I'm sure it's good for you as well. Yeah. It is. It well, is. it's an interesting... Um, it's an interesting thing that you are doing these days, especially because you're, you are helping people to understand this environment that we're having, we're being told we must save, right? We're saving, right. we need to save our planet as if the planet didn't exist before us. But, right. but, but this has become really important to the type of work that you do. It's imperative to the type of work that I do. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, even just from an economic standpoint, the, the state of Maine relies on these uh, wild spaces. And so to, to have no regard for them is just counterintuitive. It doesn't, it doesn't add up to me at all. So, and it's not about, I don't think, maybe it sounds cliche, but it's not about saving the planet. Like you said, it, it'll be here after we're gone. It was here before we, we were here. So, um, But for us to have it and enjoy it, um, once it's gone, it's gone, you know, and we'll, we won't get these, these places back in our lifetime. So, um, preserving that for future generations, it just makes sense to me anyway. I don't know. <laughs> well, and I think that I just finished reading a book called Braiding Sweet Grass by a woman named Robin Kimmerer, and she is a botanist, and she does a lot with plants. So she brings up the idea that sweet grass, which is used for basket making um, by okay. Native Americans, um, that the sweet grass actually does better when people are harvesting it for use by humans. And I think there are actually some cases where if we can interact with the environment in a way that's beneficial, really, right? You know that it's, it doesn't always have to be about us over harvesting things or us overusing things and having it be a negative. But there are sometimes a relationship that's more symbiotic. Sure. Yeah. I think even with regards to logging, which can be a point of contention for for some. Um, if it's if it's done responsibly, if it's done sustainably, uh, it's it's 
great for the environment. It's great for the wildlife in particular. Um, um, moose populations tend to uh, bounce back um, in areas that have been cut um, because you're basically opening up this dense, densely forested landscape and all of this young new growth sprouts up, really succulent, uh, rich plants that um, animals like moose, all the way down to snowshoe hare and even, even grouse, uh, benefit from. So, yeah, interacting with the landscape in, in a, a responsible and sustainable way is beneficial for, for not only us, but, but also the land, for sure. I totally agree. You have an interest in mushrooms. I do. You talked about chaga, which I find right. interesting myself. I, I use chaga every morning. And, okay, um, cool. We have the North Spore Mushroom Company here in Portland. Yeah, right on. So that's like, a, they're actually like kind of growing mushrooms. Mm -hmm. But we have, we have really wonderful fungus in yeah, our woods. Yeah, for sure. And to know about that and to be utilizing it, um, I find very interesting. Yeah. Um, God, there's... Mycology is one of those, it's, it's sort of a rabbit hole. I mean, when you start getting into it, it it's so intriguing. It, it's kind of like ratchets things up from, from the tree identification uh, that we were talking about. Um, because every little uh, clue that you gather about a particular mushroom is, points you in the direction of being able to identify it. You know, right down to the, the smell oftentimes will be a distinguishing characteristic. And um, I actually worked for uh, a mushroom farm, the New Hampshire Mushroom Company, for a time. I still uh, pal around with, with that crew. Uh, there are just some species, though, that can't be cultivated. Um, and so a lot of these uh, places, I'm sure North Spore does as well, uh, will buy wilds from people which um, sort of it's another fun aspect of, of woods wandering, if you will. You can stumble upon a, a, a handsome reward growing on the side of a tree. <laughs> uh, species like morels uh, have, have been tried, they've tried to cultivate those, and I think one person came close to, to doing it, but the end result, the actual fruiting body was uh, just didn't have any of the flavor, you know, they're so temperamental. Um, yeah, really fascinating from, you know, the medicinal properties, um, just uh, the ones that are delicious, um, n knowing and understanding uh, the, the deadly ones is certainly beneficial and also fascinating. Uh, we found, I was out with a class a couple of weeks ago and we found uh, a particular species of Amanita. That's the common name uh, for it is the Destroying Angel, uh, which is such an appropriate name because it's absolutely beautiful. It's this pristine, white, just perfectly shaped mushroom that it, it almost, it catches the light and it kind of glows and calls you in. Um, and if you eat one of those um, over the course of about a week, five days, uh, you're basically your body shuts down 
and you feel it the whole time. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating field. It's, it's certainly, I mean, it's endless. I think I, I really enjoy it, but I'm just, uh, I'm confident in what I know, but, uh, and I've been doing it for years, but I, I'm just scratching the surface. And even the field of mycology in general is, is really just starting to scratch the surface. But when it comes to knowing the outdoors, isn't that always the case? I mean, whether you're somebody who's a, just say a, a gardener with right. your tomato plant in your pot on your back porch, or if you're out in the woods wandering around looking at various species of mushrooms, that's there's just not going to ever be a way to know everything. No, it's endless. It is. I think that's sort of the... Another aspect of, of having my guide license and wearing uh, the guide patch is it's a reminder to me. It's humbling. It's, you know, some people see it and assume that you're an expert in all things um, regarding the outdoors. And there's, there's no way to ever say that. There's no way to ever be that. You're always just a student of it. Um, and that's the fun of it, really. I mean, how boring would it be if you if you could have it all figured out? There'd be no there'd be no wonder left to it. So uh, yeah, that's that's part of the magic for sure. That there's always there's always another rock to turn over. There's always another thing to look at and and uh, ponder about and sort of pick apart and uh, grow to understand. So it's endlessly exciting. It's not that dissimilar to medicine, really, that no. we get qualified as doctors. We get an MD behind our name. We do our residency program, and then patients will come see us, and they expect us to know everything. And we're like, well, <laughs> see, I know some things about a right. lot of things, but right. I don't know everything. And yeah. so we're going to have to work through this a little bit. Right. Because it's still, you're talking about not only biology, as you talked, as you mentioned, but also the soft stuff. Right. You're talking about people's personalities. You're talking about how they react in different environments. So I find it just as humbling as what you're describing cool. you find yourself yeah. feeling. It is. Uh, and, it, and it will always be. I think there, there's certainly within uh, the guide field, there's, there's uh, propensity for this bravado, this... Um, you know, I've been around people that, that tend to posture and uh, try to present themselves as, you know, I've done this and this and, and the other thing and, and until you've done. And I just don't have any time for that. I don't think I, it makes me shake my head when anybody has uh, information or an understanding of something and, and withholds it, you know. And that's not to say I think that you should give it away for free because we all have to eat and we have bills to pay. But, um, yeah, that sort of uh, hubris that some people uh, fall into um, can be a real turnoff, I think, for a lot of, a lot of people that want to, want to break in and uh, participate, um, especially with, with regards to wilderness skills. It seems to be... Uh, a dynamic of people that want to uh, put themselves up on a pedestal. I don't, I just don't, it doesn't seem enjoyable to me. You know, if somebody's passionate about learning something that you, you, you know about, then that's the most exciting, that's the most exciting interaction you can have with regards to whatever it is you're studying. Because until you teach something, how, how 
you can understand it in your head, but until you've explained it to someone else, you don't fully understand it yourself, I feel like. <laughs> well, this conversation has been a lot of fun for me, and I know we could keep talking. We could definitely nerd out when it comes to things like healing plants and, yeah. and tree sap and mushrooms and such. <laughs> I guess people who would like to get more of your wisdom will need to um, look you up and maybe yeah. have you guide them through the wilderness. That would be awesome. I've been speaking with Thomas, Tom Beluccio, who is a registered Maine guide and certified wilderness first responder. He's also the founder of Northeast Wilderness Company, an outdoor company that offers workshops, studies, and guided trips. Thank you for coming into the studio and, and being the country mouse in the city. <laughs> Thank you so much. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com. <laughs>